God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God tell me? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning, <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when did God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the, the Bible is a, a collection of God Conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I just had some bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognise his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Our world is smarter than it has ever been. We're the makers of iPhones, computers, jet engines and fast cars. We've sent rockets into space and invented cars without drivers. Yet we still haven't solved the problem of the human heart. This week on the show, we're talking about the one thing we need, more than intelligence, more than technology, and more than money. We're talking about coming face to face with forgiveness and how to overcome the main obstacle in hearing God's voice. Hi, and welcome to episode 53 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and founder of this ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. Well, this is an important topic and it's a difficult topic if you ask me, but it's one of the most crucial areas that we really have to confront. When we talk about God conversations, unforgiveness stops us from having a two-way conversation with God, perhaps more than any other area. When we bear unforgiveness in our heart, we can't get through to God and we certainly won't be able to hear from him. In fact, Jesus spoke about unforgiveness a lot. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, it says that when you come to meet with God and if you have an issue with someone, go first and be reconciled to them. Even in the Lord's Prayer, we talked about asking God for forgiveness when we've forgiven others who have trespassed or sinned against us. Jesus talks about it a lot, but at the same time, the reality of it is actually quite difficult. Personally, I find this challenging and I know that I'm not alone. So I think that's why it's so important that we talk about this in a way that's really honest and really unpack, well, how do I do that? What are some practical ways that I can do that? And what are some understanding, some of the misconceptions we have about Forgiveness. For example, forgiveness doesn't equate with condoning or justifying a wrongdoing. And God does work to bring justice. So there's some understandings theologically that underpin Jesus's teaching. But I want to encourage you as we go into this topic, as we talk about it, to really just let the Holy Spirit search your heart and say, God, is there anything in me that's obstructing the God conversation? Is there any unforgiveness? And I know that the Holy Spirit is patient and works with us. He helps us to go on this journey. He heals our hearts. And when we do that, we're going to experience incredible fruit in our own God conversations. So I hope you enjoy the show today. How do we respond when we've been wronged? The desire for revenge and retribution is natural and our justice system is designed to meet out the right punishment to fit the crime. So where does forgiveness fit in and why is it so important? 
Amini Barami was a woman who'd waited a long time for justice. In 2004, while she was returning home from work, a man named Majid Mohavedi threw a bucket full of acid into her face, leaving her blinded and horribly disfigured. The backstory goes that Barami had repeatedly turned down his advances and his proposals of marriage, which included promises to kill her unless she consented. Instead of carrying out that death threat, Moavedi decided that if he couldn't have her, then he would make sure that no other man would want her. He made sure of it by throwing acid onto her face to permanently disfigure her. The Iranian courts determined on a fine and a prison sentence for Moavedi. But Armani insisted that she was entitled by law to retribution because it was only in this way that he could understand her pain. Four years later, in 2008, she won her case, after which Moavedi's lawyers launched a number of appeals, but all were unsuccessful. And so it was decided. On 14th of May 2011, Barami's wish would be carried out. Moavedi was to be taken to Tehran's Judiciary Hospital and there, under full anaesthetic, he would have drops of acid put into each of his eyes that would render him blind. The day arrived. Moavedi was prepared by the nurses. But in the final minutes, just as the doctor asked Amenia what she wanted to do, she decided against it, saying, I forgive him. I forgive him. We're talking this week on the show about coming face to face with forgiveness. Well, what is forgiveness? What does it look like and what place does it have in our lives? What do you think about Amenia's story? Back then, the story hit the international news. You can imagine, can't you? All sorts of opinions were given. Some people said that forgiving the perpetrator was a beautiful gesture, an act of incredible grace and kindness. Others said, no, she shouldn't have forgiven him. It was right that he experienced what she had. Her forgiving him meant that justice wasn't really done. Another commentator argued that blinding the man was a good thing since it would act as a detriment to other men in similar instances. It seems he had a point. There were over 7,000 documented acid-throwing incidents in the area during that period. In another case, a man was only charged with two years and ended up serving only one for his crime. Such a miscarriage of justice... The interesting thing is if we look back at the justice system in the Bible, we see that ancient Israel was one of the first nations to institute this idea of equal retribution. We know it today as the law of an eye for an eye. It was actually an adjustment to the previous regime, where if someone took your eye, your response would be to escalate the punishment. So you would take the equivalent of two eyes. Eye for an eye was actually a reduction, an equalising of the punishment. This law was given to keep the process even. It was to show that punishment should always fit the crime and it was to address the risk of miscalculation. You know that time when you want to meet out more than what was required to even the score? Because when you feel wronged, often you want the guilty party to experience the pain and hurt that you felt, plus a little more. 
our modern justice systems recognise the same principle of fairness in the sentencing process. So if a person takes the life of another, they're more likely to get life imprisonment. The punishment is designed to meet the crime. But in this story, Amene chose to show grace and forgiveness to her oppressor. By law, it was fair to pour acid into his eyes. An eye for an eye, after all. She'd been disfigured. It made sense that he would be blinded. But instead, she chose to forgive. It's a powerful act of mercy. It's also one that echoes the greatest act of forgiveness of all. God freely gives us his forgiveness for the wrongs that we've done against him. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the equivalent of God taking acid onto his face so that we don't have to. Like Moavetti, we deserve the consequences of our wrong. But Jesus bore his sins for us and took on the punishment that we deserve. So where does that leave us? What difference does forgiveness make in our lives? And how do we forgive when we've been wronged? What does that mean for justice? These are the questions we're going to look at on the show this week. Understanding the message of this beautiful act of Jesus has the power to transform our lives. There's a story in Jesus' day about a man who was paralysed. He and his friends had heard about this famous rabbi who had a reputation for healing. So they rallied together to find him. Carrying their friend on a mat, they lowered him through the roof of a house where Jesus was speaking. Jesus was so impressed by their faith that he reached out to the paralysed man. He said, take heart, your sins are forgiven. What an odd thing to say. Your, your sins are forgiven. Why, why would he say that? How dare he say such things? The teachers and Jewish leaders standing by were so angry and offended. Only God can forgive sins. Then Jesus, who knew what they were thinking, responds by saying these words to them. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Then to show that he had authority to forgive sins, he says to the paralysed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Instantly the man was healed. He got up and walked home. (laughs) Such a crazy story. This man comes to God with his problems. It was obvious. He was paralysed. He needed to walk. He lived with his problem all of his life. And in those days, of course, there were no wheelchairs. But Jesus doesn't deal with his paralysis problem. It's almost like he ignores it. Instead, what does he do? He forgives the paralytic of his sin. He points to another problem, a deeper problem, one that perhaps the man wasn't even aware of, the issue of the human heart. It's often like that with Jesus. We come to him with our problems. Perhaps we need more money, a better job, the healing of a relationship or some clear direction in life. But our real need is something that we can't see. It's a deeper problem, a more pressing problem because it affects everything we do and everything we are. The greatest need we have is not paralysed legs, it's forgiveness. Jesus points us to our spiritual state. He points us to the place we all find ourselves, to the problem of our hearts. 
As we've said, our world is a very smart place. The progress of the human race in history is incredible. So many developments in technology, such clever inventions. Yet at the Yet at the core of our being, we still haven't solved the problem of the human heart. All the intelligence, the money, the power in the world can't solve it. What we need most is the one thing that Jesus offered, this paralytic man. We need forgiveness from the things that we do wrong. We need release from the punishment and the requirements of justice and the law. Forgiveness is the solution to the sin and the selfishness of our hearts. And this is everybody's problem. It's not just for the murderer or the hardened criminal, as it all comes from the same place. Jesus defines sin not so much as an outward action, but as the state of our hearts. So it is sinful to murder someone. But since hate is the root of murder, anyone who hates is also a sinner. It goes much deeper to those subtle areas, areas like pride and self-righteousness, selfishness. All of this separates us from God. And each one of us is guilty. Each one of us needs forgiveness. All have sinned and come short of God's standard, the scriptures say. Well, not only that, but sin brings death and spiritual sickness to our lives, both eternally and in our day-to-day existence. It destroys and grieves and punishes. Our sins and mistakes are a burden that drag us down. Carl Meninga, the famous psychiatrist, says that if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day. The miracle, of course, is that God created a way to maintain justice while still granting forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus took our punishment and the burden and power of sin on himself. He not only forgave us, but he paid for the death and destruction that was ours to suffer. Those powerful words that he spoke as he hung there, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, echo the heart of God towards every person who has done wrong. But in order to experience the effects of forgiveness, we must acknowledge our need for it. We need to acknowledge our sin so that we can fully receive God's forgiveness. There is nothing we can do to make up for it. There's no repayment, only All we have to do is to receive the life and the healing that forgiveness offers. That's the gift and power of forgiveness. Hearing God's voice is one of the most important ways we get to know God, yet so many fail to experience it. Here at God Conversations, we're committed to equipping people all over the world to recognise and respond to God's voice. It's a big vision, so we'd like to give you the opportunity to join with us by investing in the ministry. You can become a partner either by sponsoring a special project or by giving on a monthly basis. If you're unable to give financially, we would so value your prayers for God's continued hand of favour as we seek to reach people all over the world. For more information on partnership, go to godconversations.com partners. A true story is told of a woman in Rwanda a few years after the genocide. One awful day in 1998, soldiers came to her village and took her 19-year-old son out into a field. There, they shot and killed him in cold blood, even though he was innocent of any crime. His mother tells how bitter she felt afterwards towards the soldiers. She began to pray and ask God, why? Why are there people who kill 
And why my son? That night, she had a dream. She saw a vision of a house on a bridge. A road led from where she stood on the bridge to heaven on the other side. On the house was a sign saying, The house of your enemy. Next day, she drew the vision in her diary, and as she did, the meaning became clear. At the bottom of the page, she wrote these words, The way to heaven is through the house of your enemy. From that moment on, she began praying for the man who'd killed her son. It was only two months later that the killer, overwhelmed with guilt, arrived at her home to confess his crime and ask for her forgiveness. Can you imagine how she would have felt? Amazingly, this woman opened her door and welcomed him into her home. She embraced him and even fed him a meal. Later, after sharing his story with her, she accepted him into her family. Effectively, she adopted her son's killer. What a powerful story. Many would say that the actions of this brave Rwandan lady were unnatural. Most of us find it hard to forgive at the best of times, don't we? Our natural inclination is to repay evil for evil. However, this lady was living by a different set of values. They were God's values. She understood the importance of forgiveness as God's way to freedom. The way to heaven's kingdom was through the house of her enemy. It was through forgiveness. Retribution and payback would never stop the cycle of violence and hatred. Jesus taught us that it's because we've been forgiven, we can now forgive others. Forgiveness flows, setting us free. But the corollary to this is also true. If we don't forgive others, we're not able to receive God's forgiveness. If we hold on to wounds and grudges, we can become bound by them. We actually end up suffering more. The power of forgiveness is that it sets us free. It releases the effect of the wounds and the hurts on our lives. So on a practical level, how do we forgive? For this woman, it started with a decision. I doubt very much that she had any feelings of kindness towards the man when she first met him. But she responded to God's words to her and she began praying for him. This is where it starts. We begin to pray for those who hurt us. We begin to look for God, for his perspective. This woman had been releasing this man in her heart and she entrusted the justice to God. And from there, God's supernatural love and mercy filled her. She'd experienced God's forgiveness herself and so she was then able to pass it on to others. That's where it starts. We first need to receive God's forgiveness in our lives. And then when we understand and experience his forgiveness, we can more easily pass it on. Forgiving others begins with a decision. We choose to forgive. Having said that, we need to understand that forgiveness isn't easy. It certainly isn't natural for us. It goes against everything in our sinful humanity. But that's where the supernatural comes in. We need to ask God for his help. And when we do, he enables us by his spirit. The story of this incredible woman doesn't end there. Since she adopted her son's killer, she's been used by God to tell her story all over the country and even to the United Nations. Her example has inspired many to work for peace in Rwanda. So that one act of forgiveness not only set her free, 
It not only set the perpetrator free, but it also helped countless others to be set free too. It's helped to bring reconciliation all over the country. Such is the power of forgiveness. It was 1984. I had just put my salty swimming costume in the laundry when mum called my four siblings and I into her room. She was sitting on the edge of the bed. Dad was standing near the doorway, shuffling awkwardly. Your father has something to tell you, mum said, looking down at the carpet. Us kids stood in an odd little circle around the room, gawking at each other, anxious to finish our holiday unpacking and get to our favourite TV shows. Dad cleared his throat. He called in Ruth, a woman who'd been our guest on the beach trip. Then he said, I don't love your mother anymore. I'm going to marry Ruth. There was an awkward silence. My heart froze. I looked up at my big sister. Is this some sort of joke? It wasn't. I remember running into the garage, choking and gasping. In the end, my dad didn't marry Ruth. He went on to marry someone else and then someone else. He was on his fourth marriage when he died suddenly of a heart attack some years ago. It was years later in my 20s when I felt God asked me to forgive my dad. I figured if dad was ever going to come back to God, then maybe it would be because his daughter tried to accept and love him regardless of what he'd done. But I have to be honest, it wasn't easy. I'd be searching the stores for Father's Day gifts when I had no idea what to buy. I'd be trying to find Father's Day cards that read like a bad cliché. It was hard listening to my dad talk about his new girlfriends. It was difficult being open and soft and refusing to take revenge by withdrawing my love. You know, my dad never did say he was sorry. He never apologised for having an affair or for leaving his children or even expressed regret for the things he'd done. As an adult, I understand how these things do happen and I know that sometimes relationships break down and it's never as simple as it seems from the outside. But through the whole process, I learnt what it meant to forgive. That's what we've been talking about this week, forgiveness and its power. But the one question we wrestle with is, how do I forgive someone when the person who's hurt us doesn't acknowledge their wrongdoing? People often refuse to forgive because they confuse forgiveness with condoning the sin. They think it's letting the perpetrator off the hook. But forgiveness never justifies wrong. It never absolves the person from what they've done. It doesn't justify that abuse or that lie or that betrayal. It doesn't justify the hurt or the pain. Forgiveness is about our choice, not theirs. It's our response to someone else's poor behaviour. You see, we can't control the decisions of other people. Each one of us is responsible to God for our decisions, our choices. We're accountable for how we behave. And whether we receive justice or not, forgiveness is about trusting God to right the wrongs that have been done against us. There was a pastor who was in a counselling session with one of his parishioners. She was expressing hurt and pain about someone who'd wronged her in their congregation. It was a horrible story and she was crying bitterly. This woman had been so unfairly treated and the pastor could feel her pain. When did this happen, he asked, in deep sympathy. The woman looked up. It was about 25 years ago now, she said. It's a common story. 
People can carry hurts and pains for years. And as they do that, the bitterness continues to eat away at them. The hurt continues to fester so that we end up living with a wound when the way to be set free is right before us. It comes down to a choice. We need to take that wound to God and make a decision to forgive, just as we've been forgiven. It may not even need to be expressed to the perpetrator, but the fruit of it will be evident to everyone in terms of the freedom it brings. Why keep paying the price for someone else's crime over and over again? Looking back on the journey with my dad, I learnt that my forgiveness gave me so much more than I realised. I realised that in the end I didn't even need him to say sorry. God's grace comes without conditions and forgiveness set me free. When I went to my dad's funeral a few years ago, there was no regret, no bitterness. I stood at the graveside and I thanked God for the good things in my life, for the good times I'd had with my dad and for the privilege of showing him God's love. I was able to let the rest go and I was able to understand more of who my dad was and some of the reasons behind his story. Forgiveness gave me understanding. It set me free from my wounds. And most of all, it taught me how to love even when I didn't receive it fully in return. You know, forgiveness is a tough call and it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. I recall someone once saying that forgiveness is the most unnatural thing in the world. And I think they're right. It's natural humanly to want revenge because there's something in us that seeks justice. And justice, of course, is a good thing. In fact, our desire for justice is one of the attributes in which we reflect the image and character of God. Justice is one of his qualities. So what do we do when we obey God and forgive the perpetrator? but they seem to get away with it. Just because we forgive someone doesn't mean their actions don't matter. And it also doesn't mean they won't suffer the consequences for their actions. The one thing that we rest on in following God's call to forgive is that he promises in the end, justice will be done. Anything that's unjust will be dealt with by him in his wisdom and time. He is the exactor of justice and the perfect judge. He knows how to call people to account and his promise is that all will be held responsible for their actions. The truth is that even our justice systems can fail. People are wrongly accused. Guilty people are set free. Sentencing can be inappropriate and the punishment doesn't always fit the crime. We must never make our ability to forgive dependent on the justice that may or may not follow. We're called to forgive regardless. Then we're called to trust God for his perfect justice. One of the other reasons we're called to trust God's justice more than human justice is that his justice is always restorative, not retributive. Punishment for its own sake is different to justice. Let me share with you a true story to illustrate the difference. A few years ago, a number of young Australian men were arrested for trafficking drugs into Bali. Indonesian law is very strict about drug crimes and they were all sentenced to death and sent to prison. During that time, two of the men, Andrew Chan and Mayuran Sukumaran, experienced a radical change of heart. They decided to follow Jesus. They recognised the guilt of their crimes 
and they changed their lives. Instead of carrying bitterness and resentment for their prison time, they began rehabilitation work in the prison. They set up a computer room. They led art projects. Andrew began leading worship services. Soon the whole atmosphere of the prison changed as other prisoners were touched and transformed. However, as the years went by, the Indonesian justice system began to bear its judgment out. Drug traffickers Andrew and Mayurin were soon to die by firing squad. In response, the plea came to save their lives. It was a campaign that gathered momentum throughout their home country, Australia, and many people joined in. There were prayer vigils and special gatherings across the nation. Back in Bali, even the prisoners offered to take their place because they recognised what Andrew and Mayuram were doing and bringing to the rest of the prison. Both Andrew and Mayuram asked that instead of a death sentence, they be allowed to live the rest of their lives out in prison. They weren't asking for release. They knew they were guilty, but they were asking for a restorative approach to judgment. This wasn't about soft justice. It was about being restorative. It's an approach that also reminds us about the nature of God's judgment. God always hopes. He always perseveres. He always offers second chances. Justice is key, but it's always with the hope of turning the perpetrator around. As his people, we need to take the same approach. Justice means seeing people as God sees and wants them to be. In his book, No Future Without Forgiveness, Bishop Desmond Tutu makes the same distinction between retributive and restorative justice. Retributive justice, he says, is justice whose chief goal is to be punitive. On the other hand, restorative justice is concerned about the healing of breaches, about the redressing of imbalances, the restoration of broken relationships and is seeking to rehabilitate both the victim and the perpetrator. He said, let's not settle for an eye-for-eye form of justice when Christ has clearly taught us something more. Andrew and Myurin ultimately received God's restorative justice. They received his grace and mercy. And there were others in the prison and in their home country who also saw them from God's perspective, who saw them as God wanted them to be. As retributive justice unfolded and they were led to the firing squad, they went to their deaths singing. The guards hugged them and said sorry as they walked out into the killing field. And as they died, they looked up to the stars and worshipped. They sung, Bless the Lord and said, God bless Indonesia. What a powerful example of mercy and forgiveness, of restorative justice. Jesus himself talked about this in Matthew chapter 5, and I want to finish this week with his words. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And then from Matthew chapter 6, he says, Forgive others as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. 
Great to have you on the show today. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review so others can learn to hear God's voice too. 